That would have been a, that would have been a wonderful episode title if you hadn't said it while we were playing the opening. You think you're going to get it from the one in the front, but it's the one that's on the side to get you. Welcome to Glitch, Please, the show where we talk about video games and banging dinosaurs. I'm Ashley. No, banging dinosaur style. I'm yeah. Gus. Yeah, my bad. I'm Adam. Ryan. Um, and I just want to really quickly thank our sponsors, Blue Apron and Casper. We will talk about them a little bit later in the show. Uh, we have a lot we're going to run through today. We're going to talk about um, a bunch of current events. There's a couple of different things that happened this week that uh, warrant uh, some discussion. Uh, we also are going to talk about Tacoma, which came out at the beginning of this month. Uh, it's a new game from Fulbright, the Gone Home guys. Uh, and I think that's actually a really great jumping off point into a discussion about um, the value of games. Like, how do you determine what a game is worth in dollar One amounts? dollar per hour. Uh, the Sean Poole philosophy. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll get to all that stuff in a little bit. Let's, uh, but before we do, what have you guys been playing that, that is, that's, that's not Tacoma and that's not PUBG? You're going to be proud of me. Oh, my God. What? Oh. Would you, you played something? Stardew Valley. Really? Cause you did. I'm, I'm into it. Why? I'm totally into it. I've drank the Kool-Aid. Gus, tell me things. How um, did this happen? Well, I'd bought it before, you know, and I think you, you had talked about it a lot, so I bought it. I picked it up. A lot. A lot. And I, well, the first time I tried to play it, I only got to the point where you get to the farm, and I was like, oh, this farm's a mess. I don't want to deal with this shit. Uh, but everyone talks about it so much, I was like, I got to go back and see what all the fuss is about. And it was the kind of thing where it's like, oh, I'm just going to clear this little area. Oh, I'm going to clear this area. Well, it would be really cool if I bought some seeds to plant here. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, it's summer. Uh, so yeah, I've been, I've been really, really digging Stardew Valley. But the, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted because I don't want to get too into it right now because I know there's a Switch version coming later this year. Well, and that's also multiplayer so support. He, that, here's the thing about the Switch version. The Switch version has no date. They, 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 it, it was supposed no to be date. summer 2017, but yes. they pushed it to just 2017. Right. Uh, and then they, but they're super vague the way they talk about it. I could easily see it being delayed uh, to early 2018 potentially because all they've said, and the only window that we have for it right now is that the uh, beta for multiplayer is going to come uh, early 2018 and the first version to get the multiplayer patch, assuming that's post-beta, will be the Nintendo Switch version. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing they've said about they, the Nintendo Switch version in ages. They said the Nintendo Switch version will be the first console to get the multiplayer mm. version. There you go, okay. So the so, PC version will probably still have multiplayer first. I'm actually holding out for multiplayer because I don't want to do a lot of the stuff, but I want to go out and like kill things, and that'd be fun. I think the multiplayer is going to be a lot of fun for it. So it's going to be four-player. Uh, you basically have one host, and then you can build three other little huts on your mm -hmm. land, and then the host <laughs> determines when everyone goes to sleep, and uh, like if you whoa, have, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and if you have it's an more... event like a fair or something, the host is the one who determines when you start, like when you all go to the fair and when mm, that event kicks off. And not so ends. much a farm as it is a plantation. I was gonna say. <laughs> the host is the overseer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, otherwise then you can like split off and someone can go do mining and someone can clear the land and do this farming stuff and someone can, I don't know, go be the best brewer they can be. Yeah. Somebody can just sit up in the house, sip it, and eliminate. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, iced tea. Mm. I've intentionally been trying not to read too many wikis or too many guides because I know that it's super in-depth and there's a ton of it and I'm just trying to kind of figure it out for myself right now. The only thing I looked up was 
sprinkler upgrades and sprink optimal sprinkler placement. Oh, buddy, when you get all of yeah. those iridium sprinklers, you're going to be loving life. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. so I'm, I'm really going to Stardew Valley right well, now. You don't have to spend your whole day sprinkling. Yeah, I've actually, I paused playing Stardew Valley because I want the Switch version. Mm -hmm. They've put out several updates, uh, like new, new buildings, new stuff to do since I've last played it, but I'm just, I'm, I'm holding because I feel like the Switch is where I can play it endlessly. Yeah, I'm super excited for that. Yeah, although I will also say that I played it on a super wide monitor, mm. so it's like 3440 mm. by 1440, and it You can see a lot was, of farm in that thing? You can see so much farm. <laughs> you just, you take it all in. And the, the, the wide, the wide uh, aspect ratio was really stunning. But uh, I'm very proud of you guys. Yeah. Very proud. Yeah. Do yeah. you find yourself waiting like way too often for indie games to come out on the Switch that are already out on PC? Because I feel like I've said that multiple times. Hollow Knight, I was like, I'm gonna wait for it, and then I bought it. There was a there was Started a thing that came thing. out before uh, the Switch actually released. There was some developers being like, Oh yeah, we could port to the Switch in like two days. This is perfect. It's so easy. And then you know you start to hear that some developers are having difficulties, like Ubisoft was having trouble with Steep, although I think a lot of that had to do with the uh, online implementation, mm -hmm. because Steep is online and Switch is a, is a console on the go. Wow, your knuckles are so loud. I'm just cracking them. Just over here, just They're cracking. very loud Get, Getting rid of them, thanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you should be proud. And, uh, you know, so, but you start to hear a little bit about these troubles, and then, yes, the, these versions take ages and ages and ages. Even though I don't think it's concerned Ape himself necessarily working on the Switch port. Um, hmm. He's got help from, uh, oh gosh, who's the publisher on that one? Uh, Benny, want to look it up? It's escaping me right at the moment. Chucklefish? Chucklefish. Chucklefish. Yeah. Chucklefish. Yeah, so that's the, they're the ones actually working on the port. So I don't know if they just like, I don't know, maybe they've got their cat on it or something. <laughs> uh, and that's the only resource they have working on it. But I'm waiting impatiently. Yep. Impatiently. I wonder where the slowdown there is. It just requires a lot more optimization than they were expecting, or do you think it's something it's more like licensing? It's not the most resource intensive game. Yeah, no, I mean, Stardew Valley definitely isn't. But if you're, they're also looking to expand it to additional features, then that's a whole other. Can of worms. Yeah. But again, that comes later. It's not going to launch with those features from the sounds of it. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll remains see. to be seen. What about you guys? What you playing? I have been playing a couple things. Um, I I started digging my teeth into Path of Exile because the Fall of Orieth uh, expansion just came out. And Adam Baird has been bugging me for approximately five years to play this fucking game. I see and him tweeting about it constantly. It is a really great game. It is a sort of like a... Diablo 2, it is a Diablo 2S game, um, but with like years and years of like depth via patches added onto it. Like, if you've seen just the skill tree for, for Path of Exile, it's like miles long. It's insane how many different paths you can go down and how many different like builds you can make. And, and do any of them lead to exile? They, they all do, eventually. <laughs> um, I won't say too much about it because I don't have too much to say other than it's a really fun RPG. I'm playing on hardcore mode, which means if you die, your character is out of that league, so you have to restart a new character to stay in that league, which hardcore? is... Hardcore? It's fun. It's, it like adds that extra bit of stakes to it. Like you're not just kind of like futzing around and you know you're taking everything seriously. I lasted all of what, 15 minutes in our Diablo Three oh, hardcore right. run. Oh right, I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. Did, did I win that one? I don't remember. That was very competitive. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, aside from that, which I'm going to continue playing because I love the loot fest of it all. Um, I've been playing Hellblade: Senua's Sacrifice. Okay, thoughts on that one? Um, that's an interesting one. 
I'll say a couple good things first. First off, oh. so uh, the game uses binaural audio, uh, which is, if you don't know, like if you have headphones in, it'll sort of, that's the path of exile skill tree, by the way. That is a, that is quite the tree. All those little nodes represent uh, a skill point that you can invest, um, and you get a skill point every time you level up. And for and audio listeners, we'll put this in the link dump. Yeah, sometimes you also get a Basically, uh, it looks like a neural point. network. It is, yeah. You, you did win. I did win. Ha! Um, so send it with sacrifice. Uses binaural audio. Um, the game is about a a girl in in sort of it's sort of rough, but it's Nordic times, uh, and she's trying to uh, bring her lo lost love back to life. Her lost love is dead. I think she might be carrying around his skull in a bag. Um, As you do, right? And not, not wearing it, not cubone style. So on top on top so of sad. on top of her journey to carry or to to bring her loved one back to life, she is also suffering from some form of psychosis. Mm -hmm. um, she has a bunch of voices whispering in her head. Syphilis. Um, Maybe and, it's from all the other skulls. And you as the user have all these voices whispering in your head and they're coming from different volumes from different parts of your ears. And it's, It is really like an unsettling experience and it happens like the entire time you play. Mm -hmm. The whole time you're doing it, like, she can't do that, she can't. And it's like all this like ASMR style creepy whispering in your ear. Um, and it's sort of uh, like, it's sort of fantastical because you're going, you're fighting like these Nordic, uh, like mythology beasts and things like that, um, and it's visually pretty unfucking believable. Like the facial capture and animation is outstanding. Um, the general look of the game is just really, really, really nice, and it kind of has like a Horizon Zero Dawn aesthetic to it, minus dinosaurs. Um, that said, the game basically when you start off will put you on this thing. It says you have to go. You have to go into the gates of hell, which is as you do. Yeah. All right. Yeah, uh, sure. That's that's to, where to get, skulls get heads back. Right. To get to hell, you have to complete these two trials. Um, and I went and completed one of those two trials. Um, the game is primarily a puzzle game. Um, so the, far, you're really speaking my language. The problem is, so far, at least in the first chunk of the game, the puzzles have all been, uh, you sort of just walk along the set path um, and sort of like look, there's a, there's a look button, like a, you, you zoom in a little bit, um, and you will sort of just look down the set path try to align uh, different symbols to make the doors open. Um, and there's no real thinking involved with them. It's kind of just, wh where can I walk? And you walk there. Because there's, okay. there's only one place to go, generally. And that's been all the puzzles. Um, nothing has been really interesting yet. There have been a couple like things where you look through a gate and the world will change behind it, but that you, you, there's only one gate to go through, and you look through it, and you're like, OK, it changed, and you go through it. Um, again, it's like a linear path thing. So the puzzles have been pretty boring so far, um, which is disappointing. And then, additionally, there's combat. Uh, and the combat is even like a worse offender, to me, of being boring. You basically walk into these combat arenas, and these darkness enemies will spawn. And they just pop up out of nowhere, and they're all basically the same looking guy. And you fight them by pushing X, Y, uh, A to dodge, B to kick, uh, right bumper to block. And it boils down to like you just hit him a bunch of times, dodge one of their attacks, hit him a bunch of times, they're dead. Move on to the next guy that's popping up. Sometimes multiple guys pop up, um, and then there's boss, there's a, there's a boss fights, uh, and the boss fights are basically the same thing, just extended, um, with some. Sometimes they throw uh, other enemies at you and things like that. So I really love the ideas they're going for, like their presentation of Senua's psychosis and uh, like all of the the voice acting and the animation. And the presentation of the thing is really well done. Um, and it certainly makes you feel unsettled the whole time you're playing it. But the, the core gameplay, almost the puzzles and the combat, for me, 
are not my favorite. Do you think like, it's a walking simulator that's trying to disguise that fact? It kind of feels that way. Um, I mean, the combat as you described it sounds some, like something you would like. That yep. sounds very sounds, Dark Souls. That's to exactly me. what it, I was thinking. It, and it totally, when you when you first when it first sets you up, it's like you're a third person view. There's an enemy walking towards you. It kind of locks onto him, and you're gonna have to like intricately go. Through, but it's not intricate. It's okay. it's literally just like X X X X X. Okay, they've blocked you and pushed you off. Now they're gonna do an attack and you dodge. And like a lot, oftentimes, multiple enemies be walking towards you, so you have to just kind of like walk backwards and line them up so that they can't hit you from all sides. And X, 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 X. Okay. Um, I haven't really had the need to use like the block or as so the, the, kick the as much. enemies are not uh, very dynamic. They're not dynamic. They're it's all they're slow. They're plotting, which is mm. is fine if if the combat was more intricate, but it's not very intricate at all. Okay. Um, I wanted to like it, but mm. I don't think I'm there. I might give it more of a shot. Uh, I might just quit. I don't really know. Okay. Yeah. How about you, Ryan? Uh, I don't really want to say. Why? Uh, my stream made me play Dream Daddy. Oh, oh I saw that. Ryan, who's your daddy? I think I ended up... Who's your daddy? What, what does he, he do? do? <laughs> <laughs> my daddy is Robert and he shanks people. Um, no, yeah, I ended up with the Robert path. Though I, Wait, hold on, which no, one's Robert? He's the leather jacket man, I believe. Yeah, he's the okay. scruffy leather he's jacket man. No, he's you know. depressed daddy. With, uh, with a, he's depressed daddy, with, but he's got a real heart of gold. Well, he he's, wants the one that you, he's the one that you don't go home with from the bar. Yeah, if you go and home with him, apparently, that you're initially. not treating him like a piece of Yeah, meat. then it's bad, I guess. I don't know, I didn't do it. Uh, I actually made it through all the way through Dream Daddy without a single uh, sexy times. I mean, I got light sexy timed. Uh, what does that mean? Is that uh, when like the curtain blows across and then? Uh, I music mean, Robert, Robert got a little bitey at one point. He got Ew. a little. Oh God, that's, that's this is this is Ryan. Oh my God, that's your daddy. This is no, Ryan Haywood, the oh, daddy's dad. That's, okay. that's Sammy Jen did a all the achievement hunters as. as that's pretty great, daddies. dude. Diet Coke, uh, free food, and murder. That's, you don't like coffee, large social gatherings, or dream daddy. Nice. It's it's a, very accurate. Uh, I will say the the writing was very well done. Um, as far as Something where you have to read a lot of it, uh, the the characterization of the uh, the different you know the writing styles for each of the different characters was good. Uh, they had a lot of interesting like connections with things. Uh, it's still not really my sort of game. Okay. Yeah, you've never really been into that genre of yeah. game in general, even when we used to play the old uh, old ones here. Yeah. Ago. I mean, that's why we started playing them is because you hated them so much. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, you have your hate has a lot of power, Ryan. <laughs> Uh, I actually started playing Persona 4 Golden mm. on the Vita. <laughs> You're moving backwards in time? Right I now? am. I am. It's actually really interesting. So Persona 5 was my first Persona, and now I'm going back. And so it's interesting to see sort of what Persona 5 grew out of, mm -hmm. but from the other direction. So as opposed to Persona 4 or uh, Persona 3 being my basis and then seeing how Persona 5's improved on it, it's like going back. How's that and, feel? Like, delving the there are a lot of times doing that makes it just not enjoyable. Uh, you miss all the things that they refined. Yeah, no, there are some interesting things like uh, Persona 5 uh, dramatically refined the the sort of dungeon aspect uh, with making like these big, beautiful palaces where, did you play Persona 5 at all? I did, yeah. Okay, so uh, in Persona 4, and I believe in 3 as well, though I haven't got that far back, the, the, the palace equivalent is uh, think of it as mementos. It's randomly generated corridors. Oh. Uh, and they will, they don't look quite like mementos because that was a very sort of organic underground 
thing, uh, whereas this one, it may look like castle hallways or something, but it is randomly generated and it works much more like mementos where you, you find the stairs and you're gonna go up to the next level and progress through that way. So that's a lot different. But uh, so far, I really, I love all the characters. It's still got the, the social links and you've got each of the, you know, he like here's your chariot and here is your hierophant and so on and, and so forth. So you still have all those to build. All the same roots are there. It's just really interesting seeing how they ended up refining bits into Persona 5. Hmm. And uh, I think I benefit from playing it on the Vita 1 because, uh, Persona 4 Golden has additional content and it's got, you know, just a bit more than if I were to go back and try and play it on PS2 or something. But also the the fact that it's like a smaller screen and it's the handheld, I don't judge the graphics as harshly <laughs> as I probably would True. just if I were playing it going, yeah, well, don't look all that great though, does it? Uh, which is going to happen anytime you go back to an older title is there's that sort of conscious forgiveness that you have to give the game for not being ultra modern slick polished yeah. but uh yeah i mean persona 4 was initially released on the ps2 in 2008 so yeah, you're really looking it's at been a while. An, an old title Shit. yeah but uh overall really enjoying it so far uh, i'm happy to be able to have it wherever i go also uh um so i'm actually borrowing this vita from from andy and then um, i'm borrowing a vita tv from lawrence so i've got all the bases covered and the, uh, I'm, I never spent too much time with the Vita because if I was gonna have any uh, handheld console in my bag, it was gonna be a 3DS because I always liked the 3DS. I came up through that ecosystem. You know, I had, I had a Game Boy and I had a DS and I had a DSi or DS Lite or whatever. I went all the way up through that sort of progression and straight into 3DS. And so um, once upon a time I had a PSP, played Luminous on it for a while, got bored of it, put it away and then never even considered getting a Vita. But the Vita's pretty awesome. What's up? Mostly in that it has Bluetooth headphone support where the Switch doesn't. Okay, that's the thing it had. Number one. Right? And I'm like. <laughs> a plus would yeah. buy again. Yeah. Seriously, how does the Switch yeah. not <laughs> have Bluetooth? I just don't understand. It's like the question of Nintendo. How do they do so many good things and so many terrible things? It's, I mean, maybe, yeah, I, like, I can't even excuse it by saying, I don't know, maybe the components would have cost them so much because literally everything else <laughs> in this world, <clears throat> like, you're probably Bluetooth at this point. You don't even know it. I, I can argue pretty, I'm sure that there's, the cost of a Bluetooth module is almost nothing. Yeah. Yeah, so and the I, battery I just, draw is obviously negligible as well. It's in every portable device with a battery we already have. The Vita does have a stupid battery though. Mm. It's worse than the Switch. Mm. So that that's a bit of a bummer. But it was great to play on a plane, be able to just like put my headphones in, go Bluetooth, plop, and then just play. It was wonderful. And I think Bernie likes it a lot more because he doesn't have to hear the music. Yeah. So, so I looked, he's a I, big fan I've never played a, a Persona game, so I decided to look up uh, main series titles. And Persona 5 is the sixth entry in the main series. There's two Persona 2s. Isn't there also two Persona 4s? Or well, there's Persona 4 and there's Persona 4 Golden. And Arena. There's I don't a know fighting game for Persona. There's also dancing games for so Persona. I, I believe those are uh, not considered main series. Like yeah, the fighting game. They're spin-offs. Yeah. By the way. Well, I mean, even Persona is a spin-off of Shin Megami Tensei. You can get a Bluetooth chip for anywhere from five to ten bucks, and that's me looking on the internet. So and that's you buying one, it, not buying. Yeah, if you're buying a button bulk, I'm sure the price per piece is nothing. Yeah, I I hope to God they do a revision of the Switch at some point that has. Oh, come on! Bluetooth. It's Nintendo. 
Oh, what do you think they're going to do the Switch it's XL? Like, are they gonna, yeah, are they going to take the handheld approach where they iterate it to death, or are they going to take their console approach where they don't? Mm. I feel like... I'm going to buy another fucking Switch, too, because I'm... Why? Because I love They're going to iterate it, then. But it's, why would you buy one? I don't know. Oh, you mean if they release they're, it? They're, right. Yeah. I, they're I add, would probably replace mine as well. Yeah, they're going to add a cool iteration onto it, and I'm like, yeah, but unless... Actually, if they don't... Fix Sabian transfers. I will not. They they are pl they are working on that. Yeah. Yes, they have said that they are working on uh, ways to make it so that your save game can move off the damn console. I mean, if only there were examples of that working on multiple other platforms. So many yeah. other platforms. Could they just go to any one of the other major consoles and go, "Hey guys, how does this thing work?" It's just that one. That issue never made sense to me because you put in an SD card, everything just be stay on the SD card, including your saves. Why you can't just take that out and then put it in another Switch is beyond me. Well, hell, they, they used to will... know how to do that. Oh, fine. I, I, I think it's because of all like all the uh, the piracy that, that happened with the 3DS. They're trying to like minimize that. Sure. So let's go ahead and inconvenience all our listen, customers. Listen, I am not justifying it. I'm just giving a possible explanation. Well, for why I mean, that's kind of the approach of DRM, right? Is Inconveniencing that's, uh, that's inconvenience to pay customers. customers to stop the uh, the pirates. Uh, real quick, has anyone played the? Did anyone play the Splatoon 2 Splatfest? I yeah. did. What side did you end up on? Uh, jizz. Okay, you were on Jizz side. Yeah. I, uh, I don't even <laughs> know the game. Team Mayo. Yeah. Yeah. Which one? Which one? I mean, it was really striking that I think 73% of participants were Team Ketchup, but Team Mayo still pulled out the win. But of course, there was controversy in that. With, what did you play? Were you on the team? I was not, because I, I was uh, on vacation at the time. I was traveling. I didn't have great internet. So apparently, and we didn't experience this, obviously, since we were Team Mayo, but people who were Team Ketchup said there were so few Mayo players that most times when they tried to play, it was Team Ketchup versus Team Ketchup. Weird. And Nintendo hasn't clarified how those matches counted in the grand scheme of things. Interesting. Right. I Why see. I wonder how they were going to do that. Uh, there weren't enough Mayo players because you currently at any time. Yeah, you can't. You can't force someone to choose Mayo or Ketchup. So there's only so many players. Don't give them a choice. Just uh, assign mayo or ketchup I, at the beginning. That's not the. That's not the spirit of the Splatfest. I, I will. I will say apparently the, the spirit of the Splatfest is catch well, one ketchup I, violence. What I would have expected to happen in that case is just that team ketchup players would have had a harder time getting a match. Right. Like because there aren't enough mayo players to match up against all the ketchup mm -hmm. players. I would say ketchup versus ketchup would be a better experience though. Like I, I would be much madder if. I just couldn't play yeah. than if I just had to play against another. Yeah, I, team. I would, I would expect then that just those ketchup be ketchup matches don't count. Right, of course. I there's there's just like bide your time. I, I would I would think so, but there was never any official clarification. Of course, there's not. They they need. I mean, look, they figured this out years ago with things like joining teams in Steam. If one team gets too far ahead, you just cap it, like until the other one catches up. Like if you want to play, you go to the other team. It's more about playing than it is about selecting ketchup or mayo. But you want to play with your friends on Team Mayo. Well, then your entire friend list can go to the other team. Yeah, I was, I was really surprised that they went with mayo and ketchup, which are like the two colors you never thought they would have picked for Splatoon. They yeah. both looked pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, like the, even the mayo was like a little off-white. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. Just off-white enough. Gross. Oh. <laughs> yeah. A little, little ecru, a little eggshell. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I have a quick... Question for you guys, and uh, we can just cut this if no one's watched it. But has anybody watched the Castlevania? I haven't. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Talked yes? about it yep. on, on Glitch, please. We did indeed talk about it on this very podcast. I don't think I was on that one. You probably weren't. Well, you were. Mind. You Let's were away for a couple thing. of weeks. Yeah. Um, what do you think? I haven't watched it yet. That's what I was. I was going <laughs> oh, to right. ask uh, to uh, see if I should. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, we covered that. Yeah, okay. check it out. Very Somewhere. short. Okay. 80, it's like eighty minutes total. Yeah. Very okay. small commitment. All right, so let. 
us. Uh, there's a lot that happened this week, a lot of crazy current events that we should um, be discussing because there's a lot to kind of like dig into and debate on. Uh, so let's get to the news. All right, so a bunch of things happened this week. Uh, the first one that I want to get into is something happened with the, the Long Dark long dark developers uh, they uh, that game recently came out of early access mm -hmm. it's fully launched uh, and so uh, one of the developers um, Raphael von Lerup gave an interview to gamesindustry.biz to discuss the game leaving early access um, now something kind of interesting came up during that interview uh, so he was discussing the community uh, that grew up around the game and the early access uh, process so there was an event uh, where they had a they ran a 22 day countdown so just over three weeks. That's a long countdown in, in gamer time mm -hmm. and internet time. And so you expect if someone's going to run a countdown of that magnitude, that something pretty crazy is going to happen, right? A lot of people were, uh, were expecting the game to surprise release or something really of that scale. That's given that countdown lofty timer. expectations. It's a lot. It's lofty expectations. But you go three weeks. What could they possibly be leading up to? Well, at the end of this 22-day countdown, the big payoff, it was a teaser trailer. Uh, they released a teaser This has trailer. happened before. This happened, yes. They, there are a lot of, like, countdowns, but usually it's to, like, and it told, like, the reveal of a game. Like, this is where, like, where they do the official announcement on unveil and, like, give it its name and show it off and do that kind of stuff. Usually, those are really big events. This was a teaser trailer. It's, there's something in recent memory where there was a huge, huge buildup, and I can't remember what it was. It just, like, all this lead up, and it's just like, oh, here's a picture. Damn, what was it? Keep, well, keep thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, so, the... When this teaser trailer came out, lots of people, understandably disappointed they'd waited for 22 days for this. The... Uh, the teaser trailer showed it was the first look at story at their story mode. Mm -hmm. uh, it announced a PS4 version and the release date. I mean, if you look at it from the side of I'm working on this game, that is a, a monumental moment for mm -hmm. that company. Like, I can understand why if I'm making this, that is huge and deserves all the hoopla that I can pile upon it. But yeah, from the consumer side... Uh, and, and that's, I think, where the disconnect came in yeah. because... You do expect like these indie developers are very excited. It's coming to PS4. They're throwing out the release date. This is the first look at the story mode. They're pumped for this. But the people playing it, like the the people who are playing it in early access, they're already playing it. So the official release date is probably slightly less important to them. The they don't care about a PS4 version. Again, they're already playing it. Uh, the story mode, cool. It's good to know that that's there because they had received some criticism for. Uh, you know, not talking about it, wondering if it had been forgotten. So for a lot of the early access community, that was probably the biggest thing and still not worth a 22-day countdown. Yeah, I think that's maybe the, the, the disconnect is that's maybe too long to hype something that ends up being relatively underwhelming. Like, if you're going to do a teaser trailer, maybe a day or two. Right. Don't let people, don't give people that much time to... To get like in their get own like overwork and, yeah. it, yeah, like overthink it. So, but yeah, that, that being said, I don't, I definitely don't support the reaction that people had to that. Yeah, and it was, um, you know, it was a pretty vocal minority. A couple hundred people uh, left negative reviews on Steam, and there were some Reddit threads and brigading and all that sort of stuff that get some nasty emails. Uh, all of which is, you know, uh, perhaps an overreaction to being let down by that announcement. Uh, but it is, you know also a response saying, 
Yo, that was not nearly enough. You, you know, you set our expectations and you let them down. Uh, and the developer, uh, his response to that was to having people leaving negative reviews as a result of that, saying, I think there's something a little bit broken about our internet culture, if you can call it that, where that's supposed to be something that's normal and we're just supposed to roll with it because I think it's not normal. I don't think it's normal at all. Largely, the indie developer seemed to, to some degree, blame the gamers for being disappointed um, and, and for being let down by the 22-day countdown, which he has a bit of a point, I think, in that uh, we as gamers and as a community do tend to like feed that energy. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, you get excited about something and your friend gets excited about something, you start talking about the possibilities and it, you, you do grow that without the developer necessarily saying anything at all. In this case, they had been saying 22 days and we're gonna talk about something. I mean, it's, it's sad, yeah, I mean, honestly, that's, it totally makes sense why the developer would set it up that way from their perspective that is a big release it is pretty out there that there's enough people that felt so let down by a developer announcing big news for themselves through their own channels uh, that they took it upon them I mean most people their reaction to that is just like oh well that's that's not what I expected yeah, yeah, yeah. oh well they don't then go I'm going to go write a bunch of negative reviews on Steam, and I'm going to drop the fucking review uh, score of this game because they have let me down. Right. Well, there's the 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 review score revenge is a weird thing in general. Like when you get on Metacritic, you go and you look at a game like, for example, Breath of the Wild. This happened earlier in the year where people who never played it, who didn't care about it, went and left it zeros because they didn't like it scoring higher than something like Horizon Zero Dawn. Because they felt like they were playing Horizon and they were excited about it and they didn't want Breath of the Wild to have a higher score. Mm -hmm. Even though they knew nothing about it, they hadn't experienced it, they just didn't like it being there. I mean, you see dumb rationale for review scores all the time. And this is just everywhere, not just you know restricted to Too video much games. Or like, for example, you may see like a restaurant review where it's like, the food was great, the service was great. There was a crying baby in the table next to ours, so one star. Yeah. What, that, that doesn't make any sense. Like, you, you just said everything was fine. And, you know, that analogy extends even to, like, video games or every other type of review, I feel, mm -hmm. at this moment, where people take non-related, extraneous information and let that affect them. Well, and with a lot of these game reviews, um, particularly this scenario with the early access, it seems like a let's teach them a lesson, which is for a lot of people, they feel the only way they can do that and be heard is by dropping some cumulative score that the developer cares about, which I mean, in this case would be its ratings. A lesson. That's, why do you need to hurt somebody to make yourself feel better? Because you're angry, Ryan. You are hurt, and the world must hurt with you. Do you really want to hurt them? He, do you really want to make them cry? Apparently they do. I mean, in that sense, he's correct. That's not a, a culture that I think we should encourage. No. I think that's, I think if you're, you're right. I think that it would be, I think it would behoove us as like a gaming community in general to be perhaps slightly less invested about things that don't exist yet, things like upcoming announcements and so on. Uh, there is a growing movement to not pre-order games, not get excited about the quality of a game before it comes out. And so perhaps we're moving in that direction, perhaps not. And there will always be a vocal minority of outliers who are gonna get angry. There's nothing that we can do to control that. But I also, think that if you're going to 
go out there with announcements that are important to you. It's important to remain grounded as well and determine how important they are to your community. Mm -hmm. If you're going to treat it like a huge announcement to the community, then you need to know what they think is a big announcement. You need to be connected to that. Absolutely. This was a disconnect here. They were announcing something that the developers were excited about, and then were surprised that the gamers weren't excited about it I mean, on that scale. Was that not a huge announcement for people that were following that game, though? Story mode, PS4 access? They, story I mean, mode they was announced. Knew story mode was coming. Yeah. They, just, yeah. they hadn't shown it, uh, and it was more like a, we haven't forgotten about it. Depends the, also, I suppose, what, what, how much was involved in this teaser. There's a teaser and then it's a, a teaser. It's a two and a half minute, or two okay. minute, like 40 second teaser. It's not a short teaser. I think there's like a bit of like split blame going on where like gamers shouldn't have reacted that way, but they have every right to be disappointed because they can send their expectations wherever they want them to, and he probably shouldn't have, he definitely shouldn't have like left such a long window of, of announcement. But I think it was really a terrible, terrible move for him to bring this all up in the wake of his, his game launching, because the long dark, if you a few days ago, if you had went on Reddit when you saw like the threads about it launching, it was nothing but positive. Everyone was freaking out about how, how like happy they were that it was coming out. It was such a great game. It was like I think it was a top seller on Steam when it was when it when it, when it finally launched. Um, reviews were really positive, and like then only a mere days later they get all this negative yeah. press. Like yeah, for the for reference, this trailer fiasco was back in May. Right. Yes. This was months ago. I didn't even need to know about this. Right. I wasn't involved. I didn't know at all. Like it didn't matter to me. I just. Yeah, I hadn't heard anything about it. I didn't. I, I was. I was right. ignorant of it, and now I know about it. Right. Yeah. Now you can't stop hearing about it. Right. Yeah. I think. I think where I'm getting a little bit hung up on this is that I don't feel like you can say get hyped, get really excited. This thing is coming, and then when people aren't as hyped as you want them to be about the thing, to blame them about it. That's also true. Yep. Yeah. Take your lumps. Take, Take your lumps. Your lumps. Um, speaking of being disappointed about things, Valve uh, announced a new game, uh, guys. Oh my God! It's so a new, exciting. It's a new game they announced Valve. a new game. Valve still makes games. You remember, like they had that whole culture where it's like you just you got like mobile desks and you're just like, yeah, I don't feel like working on this anymore. I'm gonna desks move on over wheels, to this man. Desk. Move well, wherever you want. Everybody, move their fucking desk to card game. Yes. You spoiled it. Exactly. So <laughs> they, they, announced, no table. they announced a new game, and it is not a game that anyone was asking for. It is not Portal 3. It is not Left 4 Dead 3. It's not Team Fortress 3. It's not Half-Life 3. It is Artifact, a Dota 2 card game. I love the, the reaction video. Yeah, the and reaction video is amazing. They, like, they announced this at the International, uh, the, the huge Dota 2 event. If there are Dota fans, in the world, these huge, crazy, diehard Dota fans that love anything Dota, they were at this event. And the response from those guys when it was announced was, Aww. Yeah, That's a direct quote. Well, it was, it yeah. was like, at least it wasn't boo. Th there was uh. like this, uh, there was like this like gasp and then this sort of like rising energy and then it like said a Dota 2 card game and there was such a, oh! Yeah, <laughs> like, it was a reaction. huge disappointment from people, um, which is, one thing, not to say that this is going to be a bad game, because it'll probably be Oh, no, it's going to be, be amazing, good. and it'll, it'll make a sequel, and then they'll just stick their finger up at you for number three. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's nothing that anyone wanted, and like you were saying with the mobile desk, like, let's all, everyone at Valve works on stuff that they're passionate about. There's no, there's no single driving force saying, you have to make this thing. Everyone just, like, work on what you want to, and they chose the card game. Some days I, I kind of wish it. there was. I, well, I just, it seems like they're ticking the boxes, and they do tend to, uh, in Valve's defense, 
take most of the boxes before anyone knows that they're boxes. They were like, oh, look, here's our, you know, sort of uh, hero, uh, Arita Schooner thing, it's Team Fortress. Tick, um, here's our MOBA, it's Dota 2. Tick, great work. And now they're like, what is making all the money these days? Hmm, you know what everyone's getting in on? Card games. We'd hate to be left behind. And that's what it feels more like than, hey, you guys, we friggin' love card games. We're so super duper passionate. Do we want to? Is this the? Play let's play this here. This is the. This is the live reaction when this game was announced. Yeah. Not, oh, that's horrible. Oh my god, that's oh, gonna be that's crushing. Gonna be that yeah. is not the response you want that's as a developer. That's the sound of dozens of desks wheeling away. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was never over there. Uh, I've been over in this corner. Uh, working on... Working on hats. Steam Direct. Yeah. Or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, huge, huge disappointment. Um, it feels cynical. This is, I feel like this me. is how we discovered that the Valve game dev team was like five people. Well, most of Valve's like r real creative heads, so like all their uh, writers, they've all left. Yeah. Yep. They're all gone because Valve doesn't make games, except they do, except they make games that people don't want, except they were absolutely going to want them because people are going to spend so much money on and this And don't game. need writers. Yeah. Look, and the guy you're talking about, there's so much text on cards in card games. Ah. But you ever played Hearthstone? It's, um, no. It's all <laughs> based like a, on Dota so lore, though. Magic, so it, it, is, it is all based writing, on Dota's lore. That's, that's true. Yeah. Uh, they already to, wrote to, it. There you to go. To Valve's credit, I have seen a lot of not positive reaction, but a lot of people... Uh, Ambivalent reaction. How a, a, exciting. A lot of people saying, like, at least this looks different than Hearthstone. It is a MOBA card game. There are multiple lanes. You control five heroes. Uh, there's some silver, like people are trying to see the silver lining. You know what I, what no one ever wants to hear about their new game announcement? Oh. At least. Yeah, right. At least, ouch. Totally, totally. Yeah, it sucks. Val. But hey, uh, new game, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that was, that was really unbelievable to see that live reaction. Speaking of card games, are you going to check out the new Hearthstone expansion today? I'm kind of falling out of Hearthstone at the moment. I'll get back to it eventually. I was thinking about this one. It looked cool. Do you like card games as a genre, or was Hearthstone uh, an outlier for you? No, I played tons of Magic like when I was younger back in the day. So, okay, so I'm, I'm really into card games. So does Artifact hold any appeal for you? Um, I haven't. I don't know anything about it. All I've seen is that teaser and then the people's reaction. Are you, I don't know. Are you a mobile I'm not guy? A, I'm not a Dota person. So. A mobile, so you're not a mobile guy. So. Uh, I played a lot of Heroes of the Storm. Okay. That's about it. But they don't even call that a MOBA. They call that... Uh, it's a mobile-like yeah, or yeah. mobile-adjacent. Uh, yeah. Jumping back to this for a second. Do you think there was any other subtext they could have put here that would have generated an even worse response? A Half-Life like 3 card game. They, no, they nailed it. Even Half-Life 3 card game probably would have worked better. Right, people will take <laughs> anything. If, 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 if people saw Half-Life 3, they would cheer. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Of course, if, then if like card game came up below it, there probably, would probably be a little bit of like, uh, but people would also go, at least we get more Half-Life. Yeah, maybe. I, I just no one is, people people no are like so I think chopping at the bit for real Half-Life that if they saw card game Half-Life, they would lose their fucking shit. Because I know I would. Like, come on, you've been waiting 10, 15 years for Half-Life 2 or 3, and then you get a card game out of it? That would be worse. I think. Maybe I'm wrong. I think the 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 best they could the worst they could have done would probably have been like the mm, mobile microtransaction simulator. Yeah. That would have gone worse. But other than that, I can't think of anything. 
so, and the thing is, they'll be able to make so much money off the expansions. Like, how many expansions has Hearthstone had? Oh, God. They uh, don't need money. They don't need money, but... They built their office out of it. Out of money. As a corporation, though, as a business, unfortunately, the, the driving force is never, we need money. The point of the business is to make money. Even if you're making money, the point is to make more of it. That's kind of how businesses are. It's being like, they don't need money is totally true because they make money for doing absolutely nothing, just letting other people put their stuff on their store. They make money hand over fist, but they could make more. So Hearthstone has five expansions, and uh, Knights of the Frozen Throne will be number six. So I they, mean, you could argue if they really wanted to make more, they could release one of those games that everyone is dying for, and even if it's complete turd, people will, they'll sell millions of units. You would think, you would think that would be the case. I would love yeah. to know what's holding them up with really any of those. Um, but uh, speaking of being able to make a whole bunch of money off uh, expansions, transactions, whatever, Shadow of War is having microtransactions. Now, this is a single-player game mm -hmm. with microtransactions. They are purely optional microtransactions. That do what? Um, okay, so here we go. Uh, you will be able to purchase loot chests that contain random items, war chests that contain random followers, or XP boosts in exchange for in-game currency, which is called uh, Mirian, or gold, um, which can be bought with your real-world dollars or um, earned in small increments throughout the game. So you can earn some of these chests uh, simply by playing and so, progressing through the game. And they gave the standard boilerplate line that we always hear with this stuff. I'm going to read it. Oh, I love this. Gold merely allows you to get your hands on them immediately, cutting down some of the additional time that would have been spent winning more battles, tacking... Tracking Nemesis, completing quests, and assaulting fortresses. Ah, uh, play less of our game, right. please. Exactly. Who wants Fucking to play a. the game? It's a single-player game. All those things are the point. I do. You can. You here. You do. Here you. You buy our full retail game, and now you can pay more to not play it. Yep. I. I would provide. Uh, an example of the, however, that of a, a recent game that is did the exact same thing, but faced none of that backlash. What's that? Please do. Breath of the Wild. I would agree with you, and I... What are Amiibos degree, but a microtransaction where you just happen to keep the collectible? Well, speaking of that, I didn't write it down here, but they're going through some stuff with Amiibo right now. That, that, that's tr tr true, but it's not like I'm continually buying these loot chests. I buy one set of Amiibos for the... I basically buy them for yeah. the skins. And it's like I buy a cosmetic DLC with some foods. Yeah. Uh, but no, I'm not like I'm not going there and rebuying my amiibo. I get to use my amiibo yeah, every fucking day. Yeah, but how much does amiibo cost? Fifteen bucks. But how much yeah. are you gonna spend on microtransactions? You don't. Really I'm know. not gonna spend any. But uh, <laughs> the, the, so they said, Mirian, which is the currency you can get in game. You can get by destroying your followers, uh, destroying your already equipped gear. So. So two, you destroy two, it, so yeah, you can to, get more. Yeah, of two, it. two, two ways to destroy your shit to to get some stuff. Um, and then there are treasure orcs, which sound like a rare spawn in the game, but we don't really know yet. And treasure, uh, uh, Mirian, like, or uh, Mirian. Like veins? Veins or something like that. Uh -huh. Yeah, so it seems like the, the in-game currency, obviously, is going to still be rare. Precious uh, the, the, the weird One of the weirder things about this is that you can get XP boosts. Like, that's... The only you get those for buying pop tarts in Destiny 2. Yeah, the only, uh, yeah. The, the only time you want those is for me is like an MMO. Like in in WoW, I would always do the refer a friend thing, get three times the XP. I thought that was great because that, that was, was awesome. like a hundred hour leveling experience cut down to like thirty. Mm -hmm. But 
Man, this sucks. The well, the concern with this type of microtransaction is something that will forever be difficult to prove, mm -hmm. and it is the incentivization. In, yes, to for the developers to then just just a little bit, just maybe a tiny bit, pad out the experience, make it a little bit more difficult, a little bit more of a grind, a little more tedious so that it than seems it to be. just a tiny bit more attractive to skip it and spend another dollar or two on one of these chests in order to, uh, you know, get a little bit easier on you. are like, I could do it, I totally could. I know that I have the ability to, uh, but this will just like, you know, this is a bit of a shortcut, it's fine. I know that I'm capable, but I don't wanna go through the hassle. And so, you never know what the game could have been like if they didn't have some sort of incentive to make you spend more. Yeah. And that's the, that's the real uh, challenge with microtransactions like this. Now, in games where they're purely cosmetic, you're like, you know, cool, your cool outfits, your skins, whatever, where it's not affecting the play of a game in any way, that is a totally different case. But where this does affect gameplay, the incentives are there for the developers to make it harder on you to play or have fun with the game without spending just that little bit extra. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, we don't have a clear picture of, other than they contain items of various rarity in the chest, we don't really have a clear picture of what those items are and the context of them within the, the, the main game. So yeah. we, like, there's still a chance that this isn't the worst thing in the world, but it kind of sucks. Too many question marks. Yeah. It's like they announced it without really fully fleshing it out. Yeah, that's the thing is it's not our job totally. to, I mean, to, I mean, to I mean, go into that. They announced it and now no one knows what it means it, and are worried. And ev that's perfectly justified. Everyone is absolutely in their right to be upset about this. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm just saying that we still don't quite, we can't be fully invested in our anger yet because we still don't know no. quite what this means. So just keep your pitchforks nearby, yeah. Yeah. but don't grab them right. pitchfork adjacent. Right. Yes. But um, now I didn't write this down to discuss, but we can, uh, it is related. Uh, mm -hmm. So, because it's oh, the Amiibo thing that you brought up. I, I don't want to say I'm defending in any way adding micro microtransactions. That's a real shit box to start opening. But Yeah, um, but uh, Nintendo is going through some issues right now because, uh, as you noted, they do tend to add some additional content to games via Amiibo. So, with something like uh, Splatoon, they, the little... Uh, Amiibo will give you extra helmets or something that are kind of cool in the game. Nothing crazy, but something that's unique. In uh, in Breath of the Wild, you would use the Amiibo, and the Amiibo was the only way to get Epona. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, or like a wolf companion that would fight with you, or like uh, some really good gear. Yeah, and uh, they still sort of got a pass on that, although I, I did be like, really? Amiibo's the only way you can get Epona? That's not yeah. entirely cool. Fortunately for me, Caden has every amiibo under the sun. So uh, I, you know, I got my opponent. It was great. Uh, and going through and like getting all the different outfits and so on was a relatively hassle-free process. But that's not the case for most people who don't spend hundreds of dollars on amiibo. Right now, they're going through an issue with Metroid: Samus Returns. It's the remake of Metroid 2 for 3DS and. They have a mode in it, uh, Fusion, which it's a, it's a difficulty. It's basically like super hard mode that's locked behind the Metroid Amiibo. That's kind of, that's really shitty. 
It so it's is. basically like a DLC that is amiibo based. Correct. Okay. Um, and then you go through that difficulty and it will also unlock a different suit, I think. Uh, and so there's some content that's locked that's an amiibo exclusive. It's not going to be available to buy via DLC. Now, we did talk a little bit earlier about, for example, Breath of the Wild locked uh, extra, you know, their, their mm. super hard mode behind DLC. The, the distinction there, and it doesn't make it entirely right, but the distinction there is that anyone can buy that DLC. Also, you... Amiibo being physical and with Nintendo's infamous supply issues is almost certainly going to be extraordinarily difficult to find. Without a doubt, especially since there's content that everyone's going to want. Even if you want to drop your money on it, you will have a difficult time doing so. And right now, the listings I've seen for that Amiibo are like 30 bucks. This is from stores, not scalpers. So you're saying invest now. Uh, if you can. <laughs> so that's, they have I think, the, the... A box of them falls off a truck. I think I that's one of the distinctions, is that in this case, even if you are willing to fork over the money, you may not be able to. Playing devil's advocate, not... Eh, playing devil's advocate a little bit. Uh, you With Amiibos for DLC, like for Legend of Zelda, you do get a little collectible. That you get to sit on your desk and look at what long after you're done that? playing the game. What if I just want the content? They should make it available. Both what if I want the damn cheaper. horse I'm, and I dude, don't need the thing? I'm totally with you. Yeah, I'm, but like, I'm in that boat. Right? Yeah. The, the I don't way, need more garbage yeah, in my the, life. The way I mean, the way a lot of people who I like my garbage amiibos, digital people who collect amiibos do want that physical item though, yeah. and like they treat it as. I think the way Nintendo tried to spin it was like, you're a collector, you collect these fun things anyway, and you get a bonus instead of the other way around where you, right. you want the DLC but you get the. the but figure. now they're forcing value on them. Right. Yeah, totally. it's almost like it's they're It's too much. Yeah. Too much. Give me a digital amiibo, I guess. Yes, amiibo. There you go. Maybe they can give you a desktop widget. It can sit there that's on, your, sure. on your desktop. How exciting. And, and don't charge me as much, because that's stupid. <laughs> right, because you're not buying something that requires yeah. physical manufacturing. You don't, need to, you don't need to pretend like you're going to make enough and then not ship them to the locations where I live and then put up a pre-order and take it back down. Let's just, just cut to the chase. Just let me buy whatever I want. All right, and to finish up our current events, uh, more people uh, making money maybe on things that they shouldn't be. Capcom versus modders. So uh, there are a couple of very prominent, high-profile uh, Street Fighter game modders who Capcom has just hit with DMCA notices for fiddling with the game. Uh, now, without just a top line would make Capcom kind of sound like the bad guy, but it turns out that uh, the modders, it's Colette uh, uh, Antar, 666, and Brutal Ace, they, uh, the reason they were hit with DMCAs is because they were actually charging for their modding work, um, and Capcom was not happy with them essentially charging to fiddle around with their IP um, and the IP of others. So these modders, they are very well known, and they have been doing this for a long time. They make uh, alternate characters and costumes for Street Fighter characters. So in this video, you can see um, it's Iron Man and, and Wonder Woman. You mean uh, they're not in uh, Street Fighter by default? Surprise, I know. Uh -huh. uh, but they, um, so this is what they do, and they've, they've had Patreons up where you can donate to their Patreon, mm. and then they'll, they'll do the, give you the skin. Uh, and so Capcom DMCA that said, you can't do that, you can't fill with RIP. Um, They've done, so in addition to ones like these, they've done like Zero Suit Samus, they did 2B from Nier Automata, Jill Valentine, a bunch of, a bunch of other ones. So they're actually kind of fiddling with IP on both sides. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, You're which really gets, just asking for a yeah. real hellfire there of, of lawyers <laughs> cease and desist. Right, and um, one of the modders, uh, Brutal Ace, said he's like, he's done, he's out, he's he's like folding up shop, he's like, okay. Can I ask? Okay. Yes, you may. So the process there was you had to back their Patreon to get access to the mods? There's a Patreon reward to get the mods. Okay, yeah, so that's definitely money for... I, I wonder, Very specific, yeah. yes. I wonder if they had just said, this is a Patreon, you can support us, there are no rewards, and the... the the DLCs will be, or the mods will be just on a marketplace. Right. You don't have to pay for them, but if you want to support us personally so we can keep doing this stuff, That's I wonder if that would skirt those rules a little bit. A lot more of a gray area. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, actually, one of the, um, the, the model that didn't fold up shop, um, Colette Antar, I'm not, I know I'm not saying that right, I'm butchering it and I apologize. Um, he actually has basically started at the exact same Patreon, just removed any mention of Street Fighter. But he's still turning for other mods, or? Well, it's um, it's more like a, it's now like a general, just like modding Patreon, you can support his work, you know. But So he removed mention of the that he's working on, so it's not a specific, like, pay me for Street Fighter mods Patreon, but it's still, like, a modding Patreon. But if you want the link, wink, wink. Yeah, now the, uh, the, so, and this guy, he's, I think he's finding it a little bit more because he doesn't see what's so wrong with it. Um, specifically, he says, the DMCA notice was issued because Capcom is stating that we modders are using copyrighted materials to make our mods and earn something from our work. Well, I see YouTubers, streamers, and especially um, source filmmaker creators doing the exact same thing and earning a huge amount of money out of it. So uh, he's, I think, equating things like, you know, like ad revenue and Let's Plays and all that as people using other people's IPs to make money and that's okay, whereas what he's doing is not. It's a slippery slope. I mean, it is I, a slippery I, I could see why he would uh, why he would say that, why he would think that. I think part of the I think the, the distinction there is tends to come from things like um, like a, like ad revenue from a let's play or something like that, or um, there are patreons for people who will then you know they like stream on Twitch or they mm -hmm. make YouTube content. It's more of a general thing, not you're paying for this video. But it also probably makes a big difference that he is modifying a title that exists. And by doing that, he is inherently now competing with the creator of the title if they were to ever try and do something similar. Not only would they then be have to fight him in terms of, well, this was, he could argue, it's like, this is my idea, I did this first, here's the work. But then also, yeah, I mean, if they just made their own, then it would be in direct competition. I think the the other thing where it gets a little bit tricky is this does bring up the paid mods discussion uh, mm -hmm. once again because there are other games that are supportive of people fiddling around with their game and doing mods and, and getting paid for it. Uh, you know, but Skyrim tried to do that uh, with Steam, didn't work out, so they they kiboshed it, uh, and they're trying to figure out like how to revisit that conversation because and it's probably going to be a developer by developer basis for a while of do we want people making money by fiddling with our stuff? Bethesda would like people to be able to support themselves if they're putting in work and creating new things, that new experiences for people to have in the game. They're happy for people to make money off it. But Capcom's not. Mm. Apparently, Brutal Ace's defense was that he released all of his mods for free a week after, so his Patreon supporters got them a week before and had a week of exclusivity to them, and then a week after they were released for everybody. Um, he's also not retiring permanently from modding, apparently. He said he's taking a break. I, see. I mean, that, again, does make it more of a gray area, where it's, it's not something that you only get via you know, signing up for the Patreon. 
Yeah. It's just like a like a time exclusivity yeah. thing is all. Um, so again, great. There's really not necessarily like a, a definitive yes no rule on what any sort of modder should be doing at this point in time. But it is uh, another development in the ongoing conversation of uh, modders and financial comp compensation because they are doing work. They are putting work into these games and making something new for people. But they are doing it on the back of games that already exist yeah. and that we'll are run by businesses. We'll continue to see threats from lawyers and legal teams for, yeah. for a while until I think we get this narrowed down. It'll be a process of, is this okay? No. How about this? Yeah. How about this? And you keep pushing that limit until you, you find uh, what, what they're okay with. Like, as long as you do not present something that looks like competition with the source material, you're probably in better shape. I think that's why uh, streamers and, and YouTubers get away with it as much more is because we're not, most of those companies don't have a wing that produces mm. that content. Mm -hmm. Oh man, this is all making me kind of hungry. It's a good thing this episode is sponsored by Blue Apron. <laughs> what a slick <laughs> you. Um, so uh, they, Blue Apron does fresh, high in quality ingredients. They will send them to you to make a real difference in your cooking. So, because it's you know it's important to know uh, where all your food comes from. And for less than ten dollars per person per meal, Blue Apron delivers all these seasonal recipes and pre-portioned ingredients so you can make delicious home-cooked meals. It's a really fun thing to do uh, together. Actually, you can choose from a variety of new recipes each week, or let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. And recipes also, they're not repeated within a year, so you're not going to get bored. You're not going to keep getting the same thing over and over and over. Uh, some upcoming meals include uh, basil pesto chicken, sautéed shrimp and miso butter salmon, which sounds amazing. Uh, Blue Apron's freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient in your delivery is Will, arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. Customize your recipes every week based on your preferences. And Blue Apron has a bunch of different delivery options so you can choose what fits your needs. There's also no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them. If you're going on vacation or you just don't have time for like in a, in a week, you don't need to stress about it, you don't need to worry. Uh, check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com glitch. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash glitch. Yeah, the no weekly commitment thing's really awesome. Because like when we went to E3, I just like turned it off for that week. It's like, I don't have to worry about it. I'm not going to waste food. Not gonna, you're not going to have it sitting out there. Yeah, like you don't want it coming to your doorstop and just getting yeah. stinky oh. throughout the week. Super, it's super easy. And it is, I really like the experience of cooking with someone and just taking that time to make a nice meal and then sit down and eat it. I feel like I have a lot more appreciation for food when I cook it. Mm, absolutely. You know, it's easy to just like order something and go, yeah, it's fine, whatever. But when I cook it, I'm proud of it. Yeah, you wanna make it look good. You wanna plate it right. Exactly. All right, so uh, we all this week uh, played Tacoma. Tacoma. The new oh, game from Fulbright. So let's spend a little bit of time talking about that. When you say we played Tacoma, do you have to use air quotes and say we played Tacoma? Sure, we played Tacoma. We experienced Tacoma. So Tacoma, this is the new game from Fulbright. It's the the team that made Gone Home, and you can absolutely tell that if you, um, you know, that that it's from the same mm -hmm. people when you play them. Um, the game came out on August first, so it's pretty new. And it's what makes this one different is that unlike uh, Gone Home, which was very much a coming of age uh, experience walking simulator, this one is a little bit more up my alley because it's a sci-fi, uh, it's sci-fi adventure. Like you 
pull up to a spaceship, and that's how the game opens. Um, it's set aboard a high-tech space station, the space station Tacoma, uh, in the year 2088. You explore every detail of how the station's crew lived and worked, finding clues that add up to a gripping story of trust, fear, and resolve in the face of disaster. So this, uh, basically what happens when you start the game is you get to the ship, it's been abandoned, uh, and you are a subcontractor to um, this, this company that's, you're supposed to go there and recover some data from the ship. You, so that's, that's what you're going to do. And it consists of basically plugging in a, a tablet to a port in each of the different areas. So there's like engineering and there's uh, like the, the biomedical facility and there's the, the administration wing. And uh, then you wait for the data to download and go occupy yourself while it's doing that. So you don't have to go discover absolutely anything. You can sit there and watch the progress bar. Are you that. sure the progress bar will fill up? Yeah, I don't know. I think you can. It goes like to. it goes like point zero one percent every like twenty seconds. But I think but then when you like if you have like a split wing, you can go one place and come back as fifty percent. I think you have to explore to really? get the thing back. Yeah, I, I think, think so. I think so. Okay. Or it might be like super crazy long if you don't. Yeah. What a weird game that would be if you just had to wait for the <laughs> just thing sit to fill there and up. Watch it. <laughs> Um, it is actually a really beautiful game. Is there an opposite of a speed run? <laughs> so, yeah. so you don't actually encounter anybody. Everything that happened on the space station was recorded like in this augmented reality system. So you're basically watching like wireframe replays of conversations that people had. Yeah, and so you're this, like, this isn't a game that you affect the outcome right. of anything. You kind of just scrub through the replay. You're like, what were those people talking about? You're like, all right, I'm going to rewind it and go see what the people over there were talking about. Like, oh, and then they cross paths over here. And now, is it this... is kind of a cool way that they set it up uh, because they they you know they don't have crazy development resources for uh, huge animation or whatever they have they did some really smart things with these like these AR characters which is just these sort of rough holographic representations yeah. of people so you can see the skeleton and they've each got an icon for their role indicating which person this was and they're each a different color but they're super low polygon. They, the, it's the, you know, the animations are all very, very basic because it's just like, well, this is what our AR system recorded. And so they managed to get a lot out of it, out of like having people there, but not having people there. Can I ask, what platform did everyone play on? I've been on PC. I played on Xbox One, and I almost didn't play this game. Really? There is apparently a huge bug in the game and I experienced it where, you know, when you first boot the game up, it says, like, press A to start or whatever. Yeah. Uh, no matter how many times I pressed A, the game wouldn't start. I hard booted That's my Xbox, repeated. I hard booted the Xbox, unplugged it, plugged it back in, still wouldn't launch. I looked online. You have to hard shut down your Xbox, unplug your Kinect, and then boot your Xbox up which is what I had to do in order to get the game to work. Why? Right. I mean, is I, Kinect enabled at no, all? No, it's not. Is just seeing the connect to the controller. I have you're not able to push A on the I have connect. no idea what the fuck the problem was, but that's an. You tried just screaming A at it. <laughs> that's an incredibly frustrating problem to have for a twenty dollar game. How do you not realize that that exists before you deploy? Who the fuck uses connects anymore? How do you not patch it immediately? That's true. That's that is fair. <laughs> how many connects are there plugged in in the world? Right. right now? They just, just, they just never, was the last one. They just my never bit. tested it that's with it. the connect plug. And guess no, what? That's no. it. I, I had no reason to unplug my connect before. Now my 
connects unplugged, it's just gone. There you go. I mean, you think right. Microsoft certification would have caught that. There's almost nobody using the Connect anymore, and those who are, fuck it, don't use it. Yep. Not My, mine doesn't even this. work anymore. It's, it's plugged in, and it just doesn't, the light, the light doesn't even come on any longer. Uh, uh, there was a kind of cool thing, too, by the way, just a side tech note on the, the characters, as you mentioned, just being little skeletons. That's the rig. That's the rig that drives an animated character in CG. Is That's all they did, was they just lit it up. Yeah. So that's uh, that's what the inside of every CG character that you've ever seen in a movie looks like. Yeah, they just like left it. Is it it's, all? And it's kind of cool. I like it. It's a nice aesthetic, well, and I actually I, also I mean, really to... like the that you can like rewind. Mm -hmm. So as you enter an area, there's a um, there's like this timeline that pops up, and it's mm -hmm. got these various question marks where different, I guess like the different characters brought up some sort of their uh, AR their, their, computer, their right? AR computer mm -hmm. menu. And you can, while they have that up, you can pause the AR recording, which basically freezes time and where all the characters are and what they're doing and saying. You can go and you can open up their menu and see what they saw. And some parts of it are corrupt and don't work, but you can go through like their email or their convert their their text messages or whatever, and start to gradually put together a picture of who these different people mm -hmm. uh, are and what they're doing on the ship and like what they're all you know they're conflicting views and like what they are telling the truth about and what they're lying about and so it's quite interesting. I thought that the character development uh, through the use of like their various emails and messages and uh, browser windows and things like that, I thought that was actually probably more interesting overall than the, the total story for me. Um, I don't feel like the story concluded that satisfactorily uh, and also was really abrupt. Um, but I felt like getting to know each one of those characters through their messages and like see what their struggles are and see, you know, just kind of like getting to know them without them not actually being there was really, really interesting. I, and all of them were like extremely well voice acted. That's exactly what uh, I was going to follow up with. Yeah, like they were all very believable and like every, and, every part of their characters was great. And very distinct. You would yes. think that when you can't really see characters to differentiate them, you were still able to differentiate them with voice, and also even the rigs, the way that they light them up and, and have different shapes for them, I thought was really effective. Yeah. yeah, and there's a lot of really interesting subtleties too. So uh, one of the characters, for example, uh, in his menu, he's reading um, he's reading a book or like some sort of pamphlet on like how to get people to like you in the workplace, and one of the, one of the recommendations in this thing he's reading is like, instead of calling your boss boss, call him something fun, like uh, like you know, like like chief or you know, hey, honcho or whatever yeah. or champ or you know, and then uh, you see him in a conversation with uh, with a superior, and he does it. He says uh, mon capitan or something like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's really Forever interesting alone, to see that <laughs> set up and play, and then you know, played through. And then there's another uh, there's another character who his mother or mm -hmm. grandmother, you know, did um, like rock molding. And so there's a book in his area about isn't that um, called sculpting? But you know, I don't know rock, rock sculpting. But it's you know basically like taking um, a rock and getting it down to a perfect sphere. Mm. And he's got a bunch around his um, around his space, which I didn't really think about until then. I saw a book and it was like the same last name, but it was an older one. I'm assuming it was you know like a mother or a grandmother who you know wrote a book about this and no doubt taught him how to do it, and now this is just part of his life, and he, you know, molds rocks. I still felt like, even after I was done with the game, there were still some areas I didn't, I never accessed. 
I don't know if you all there are there are like areas that are like out of the way, not part of the main story that are just there for AR recreations for for character building. Or like what about like the irrigation room, for example? Like oh, yeah. there was a lock on it, and I don't I never figured out what the code was to get in there. And two characters walk in there at one point having a conversation. Oh, oh yeah, there was yeah, no, there was also the meta, the, cat, the medical scanner one. In in when when you go to scan, I um, uh, can't remember his name, but he's, he's, right like, he's like the dad. Uh, when you go to scan the the, the dad in, in her medical office, there's like a, a a brain scanner or whatever, and you can access it if you have a code. But I couldn't find the code. Mm. Yeah, the, and the codes there are the, yeah these codes um, or there are keys for various like drawers or cabinets that are hidden around. Some, and there are these codes for like admin offices or these different rooms and the way that you find these codes and where they are is different for each one. So like there's, you know, like there's a uh, one couple and a, there's one person and the code is like her anniversary. Hmm. But they don't tell you that. You just try to think of like what would be important be to this character. Gotcha. Mm. Um, you know, and then there's one where <laughs> it's just like, it's literally in the open, it's on a sticky note. You gotta depend on them being the, very terrible about operational security and passwords. Some of them, you actually have to watch them go into the room and you just see like the areas light up where the numbers would be. There's that. There's um, actually an alternate for that one as well. You, you can watch the air character put in the code and then just replicate it, or it's also in a book. Uh, like, I never like, thought to watch like, them around the code. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of like, Following the, the timelines and see and there was like, there's one that's super obvious where the character just asks uh, the AI. Yeah, yeah. What's, what my, my what's my code again? Right uh, Can we spoil this game? No, um, I don't think we should I don't I don't think we need to spoil it too much, but uh, one of the uh, Main things that I thought was quite interesting and it is a thread throughout the story is uh, You are there um, And you've been cut off from this AI character um, Odin who um, he was there to really like, like run the ship and assist with all the different people, and so a lot of the stuff that you're seeing is driven by Odin. But something went wrong, and Odin's been isolated, so um, that it can't interact with you when you're on the ship to recover all this data. Uh, and then, but Odin's not the only AI character in this larger world. There's also Hika, I think, as another one, and you can go through and see like the various. Like there are charts over time of how different AI characters mm -hmm. um, develop, and there are these these factions in this world. It's very like a world building thing yeah. of like there's an AI like liberation front, and then there's um, the the company that you're working for, and they've got this new project that's AI driven, and then there are unions that are opposing AI um, like economy, yeah, like mm -hmm. automation. Um, in order to preserve jobs, but then you also have stockholders saying we're, you know, we're not happy because this this legal bill fell through that had to do with automation, and so now we're losing money. And so there are a lot of really cool conflicting. Boy, you're selling this game hard. Have we? Have we and then, like, it's cool. <laughs> it's really good. For, for me, it actually is interesting. Uh -huh. I like this this feeling of like a complex world where there are a lot of people who have. Conflicting goals. Mm -hmm. and just none of them happen to be here. Have we talked about the, ba the actual setup for this game yet? Because I don't think we have. So, so, so the basic setup, aside from arriving on a ship, is and going around these different areas to figure out the story, is something happens on you arrive on, a, on an empty space station. Something happened to the crew, and you need to find out what happened. And you do so by these AR yeah. uh, recreations. It's like the only space game where you arrive on an empty ship, and it's not a horror game. I think. Yeah, I think that uh, this would be a game that would have been interesting to see in VR as well. 
Well, there's several iterations, not of this game in particular, but of similar. Lone Echo just came out. Uh -huh. That's a, a space station yeah. game. There's a lot of that genre that exploration, exists. and there's yeah. areas in the space station that are zero gravity, where you can mm -hmm. kind of move around in any direction you want. Well, how do you feel like this was this title was uh, in terms of an evolution from Gone Home? Uh, I liked this more than I liked Gone Home, which isn't necessarily saying much because uh, walking simulators are not my genre. <laughs> they're they're not the experience that I be like, you know what, like I'm like time to sit down and play a game, you know, take a load off. What do we want to play? A walking simulator. It's just never the kind of game that I sit down uh, really wanting to play, even though I can recognize that they're they're good experiences and that they're well done and well crafted. It's just not my kind of game. I did like this more because I like the sci-fi element. Mm -hmm. I think so did you like it though? Like, was it a game that you would recommend? I would recommend it if you like walking simulators. Okay. Uh, I think I liked Gone Home more. I liked, um, there was just, can, uh, can we get spoilerish with Gone Home yet? Is it, has it been long enough? Yeah. Um, sure, you know what, spoiler warnings for Gone Home. If you haven't played it, it takes two hours. I really enjoyed that the entire game was a misdirect. And that it was like, you had this idea that there was like this supernatural horror thing going on. Then at the end it's like, oh no, it's a very mundane explanation. And I liked that. Uh, it freed up your imagination to to scare itself in a way. That was like the exact same thing as I guess I can't say this. Uh, but uh, in, in Tacoma, I thought Tacoma was a lot more uh, linear in its presentation, and uh, and it's a fine game. I liked it. I really liked the story. I really liked the world they built. Like you said, um, I would not recommend it at twenty dollars. I would recommend it at maybe ten. Did maybe at ten. Did any of you guys Ooh. play? Uh, it's very, it's very short. Did yeah. It, yeah, it's a, it's a three-hour game. Two, two. Yeah, I played in two. Did I managed guys... to make it last week. I read absolutely everything. I picked up everything. I read every pamphlet. Totally. I found the Christmas duck. I have no idea. <laughs> I found the Christmas is. duck. It's a, it's from, it's a Gone Home Easter egg. Oh, actually. gotcha. Uh, have you guys played What Remains of Edith Finch? No. I have not. So. It's also a walking simulator. I'm also not a walking simulator guy, but I've ended up playing a few of them because uh, they make for good bite-sized games. Mm. Um, but What Remains of Edith Finch was my first walking simulator, and that game, uh, you arrive in a mansion, kind of like Gone Home, and you're kind of just going through the house trying to figure out the stories of everyone there. Um, and, and that game presents, whereas this game uses AR recreations and you sort of navigate those stories that way, this game gives you sort of micro stories. You open a book or you read like a journal and it will then kind of transport you into another person's perspective of how a story had played out. Um, and I think that game sort of, for me, did a lot of more interesting things the way it presented its stories because like, I was doing a different thing each time. Like I was, you know, I was a little girl on a swing and I eventually fell off or something like that. And, or I was like a dude at a, a fish head chopping plant and I was doing the chopping and, and then moving around to the fish and all that. And then that story progressed in like a fantasy story. And there was all these little micro uh, experiences. And this game, I liked the way it presented itself, but it wasn't that varied, mm. I didn't find. But the story was interesting. I don't feel, I can't, without saying anything, I, I don't feel like it quite wrapped up the way I wanted it to, it, all, it did wrap up in a, a way I didn't expect, but it was like a basically a, a one sentence ending. Um, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> all right, well, I guess we'll have to talk about it afterwards. <laughs> but yeah. All right, Tacoma, buy it. Yeah, at at ten bucks. At ten bucks, which it's not. Yeah, actually, I'd, I'd probably wait for a price drop. But overall, if you like the genre, if you like walking uh, simulator experiences, I think you'll enjoy this. I think it is a good 
walking simulator experience. That seems to be the consensus. Yeah. Did all you, right. Did you play it? No. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I wrote it out all the way through the end. Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't have time to this week. But I don't think I'm going to, based on that review. So thank you for informing my decision. <laughs> well, you'll be able to save your money then for a Casper mattress because they're also sponsoring this uh, episode of Glitch, please. Uh, Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. Casper makes outrageously comfortable mattresses that you've probably heard about a million times on podcasts like ours. But as someone who actually has a Casper mattress, dude. It lives up to the hype. Also, it's really cool and it comes in a box and then you open the box and it just goes it's, It is like sci-fi. It really is. Uh, Casper's mattress is an obsessively engineered mattress at a very fair price. Casper is made of supportive memory foams for a sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. A wink. Uh, plus, it's a breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature through the night, which is in the middle of summer. I think everyone can appreciate this. You don't want to wake up as a sweaty mess. Uh, you can buy it very easily online, risk-free. It'll be delivered right to your door in a compact box. Seriously, the box is super cool. Uh, <laughs> Casper understands the importance of truly trying out a mattress that in all reality, ideally, if you're getting enough sleep, you're gonna spend a third of your life on. Casper offers free delivery and painless returns within a 100-day period, so you don't have to lie down in a showroom like with your shoes on, with like someone standing over you being like, so what do you think? Uh, you just get to like try it out and see what you what you really think get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash glitch and using promo code glitch that's casper.com slash glitch and promo code glitch now they're fun mattresses yeah they're great and uh, I, I really I really do highly recommend it. at the very least trying one out it is not something that you are committed to if you um, decide it's not for you but a uh, hundred days a hundred days that's a lot of days mm -hmm. that you get to test a lot something out a lot of days, a lot of nights, sleepful nights. Mm -hmm. That adds up to 800 hours. 800 hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think love in sleep. my life, I it's probably sleep. more like 200. But <laughs> <sighs> so sleep is all the more important to you because you don't get enough. I was kicked in the spine by a three-year-old for about two hours last night. See, if you had woken up and, and while you were getting kicked in the spine, if you had started playing Tacoma, you would have been done by the time the kicking stopped. It probably would have been better use of my time. Well, that's, um, I don't know, you're going to want to, damn, I don't have a really nice transition for this one. Let's talk about the value of games. <laughs> I had something, and then it just, like, it, it went away. Poof. Mm. Yeah, something Much about like, saving your... Much like your, your money like when you spend it on, you on video games. Yeah, and the Poof. reason that I, I want to talk about it uh, this week is because, we, you know, we're talking about Tacoma. It's a two- to three-hour game. It costs 20 bucks at the moment. Uh, I'm sure that will go down, but overall, you know, if you're going to do your, your cost per hour, you're then looking at, you know, like seven... Seven to ten dollars yeah. um, per hour uh, for a game like this, whereas there are other games you play. I spent like, uh, well, this is what PlayStation 4 told me: is it told me I had like 170 hours in uh, Persona 5. Realistically, that was probably more like 120, because mm -hmm. you know I had a tendency to like get up and I'll go like do something and then come back. Uh, but still, that's a huge difference in amount of time you get out of a game. I've got that much time in Battlegrounds. Which is a $30 game. Okay. I think uh, Bernie's about to pass 300 Yeah, that guy's crazy. He plays yeah. way more than me. Um, you know, but, you know, how much did you pay for Battlegrounds? 30 So, like, you're, you're down to, like, cents right. per cents hour. Right, cents on the hour. Um, you know, and it's a really interesting conversation to have about games because 
an experience like Battlegrounds is so different from an experience like Tacoma. Mm -hmm. uh, but ultimately, you know, your dollars have to go somewhere. Do you choose this like tightly crafted, uh, you know, isolated experience, or do you go for something where, um, you know, sure, it's sort of janky. It's it's got its bugs. It's you know, but you get hundreds and hundreds and well, hundreds yeah, of hours. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, they're totally different experiences. Do you want to experience a really, you know, cool, compelling story, or you just want to go shoot people in the face? Sure. I mean, there's really, I mean, because there's, there's no story, there's none of that in Battlegrounds. It's just go out there, get a gun, shoot someone. Yeah, there's really even not a not a meta story for Battlegrounds, is there? There kind of is, like, to explain, like, the blue zone and stuff. But, I mean, that's all, like, you have to go out. Or, that's not in the game. You have to, like, yeah. go to open a up website. a web browser and well, like read Destiny. about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the one thing that whenever this topic comes up that we never really kind of uh, consider is how much does it cost to legitimately actually make the game? I mean, you've got, depending on what you choose, to, I mean, the, the base cost of creating a game, you've got to have an engine. Uh, a lot of people will either license an engine, Unreal Engine, uh, Unity. Unity. Those are the two big ones these days because you can basically get them for free and then only have to pay if you decide to make a, a actual commercial product with them. Um, which is why, if you've wondered why a lot of games sometimes look kind of similar these days, it's because they're all running off the same engine and are not as customized as they could be. Well, especially, especially when you get VR. down to indie games where they don't have the resources to mm -hmm. make full standalone engines yeah. and they just want to put their effort into this experience that they've got in their heads yeah. and these tools that are already there can help them to do that. Yeah. But it does have the limitations of maybe some things then coming through every game that uses that engine. The, the cost of, of a game, to, the cost to make a game is, is the value a developer places on it, but that should have no bearing on the value it has towards the player. No, that's not true at all. The cost to make a game is a very set thing. That is, is how much. What I'm what I'm saying is like <laughs> that. That's not something I should have to take into consideration. I shouldn't care that it cost two hundred million dollars to make World of Warcraft or whatever, and I've I've gotten two hundred hour or two hundred days of playtime out of it. You as a consumer shouldn't care, but when we sit here and say well, I, that I, this twenty dollar game should cost ten dollar game, that game may not exist at ten dollars. Right. I mean, there's there's a, a bit of a balance there in that um, I think Adam's right. It's not the consumer's fault if, mm -hmm. say, the developer mismanaged resources. Right. And so, you know, we had uh, this come up with ARC relatively recently where they put out paid DLC before their game even left early mm -hmm. access. And uh, there were there's an element of the community saying, what the fuck, that's ridiculous. Um, how could you do that? That is... You know, that is, that's like unethical and it's stupid and absolutely no way. And you had another segment of the audience saying, yeah, but they did have that lawsuit. And so, you know, they had to make the money up somehow. And so, you know, there are the people who, who care, who are following the studio mm -hmm. and saying, well, they needed this in order to keep afloat. And you have the other people saying, I don't care. Their lawsuit is not my problem. I shouldn't be asked Again, to pay for all this additional they, stuff because they fucked they up. They offered additional content in that case, though. I mean, they, they didn't just say, give us more money. I, I would, but the the counter-argument to what yeah. you're saying about, like, the game maybe not existing at $10 is, I mean, that that's true. If they sold maybe the same number of units at half the price, yeah, it's not going to not gonna pay off. But do you see more sales because then it's a cheaper game? Right, because then and for then a lot of people, for your volume. they just right. go, like, oh, yeah, 10 bucks, eh. And There's then the just price like point though where you don't make any money off of five bucks. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you present if you if you if you have a game that costs you more to make. 
then you present that in its production value. If you look at a game like Star Citizen, which is a weird case, it's crowdfunded, but it's made $150 million or whatever so far, and that's that's not even its its entire production mm -hmm. budget. Like you'll see that returned in its production value, in its scope, in its yeah. in its level of fidelity, in in the engine they're using. But I if you disagree. don't, yeah. But like you, you don't have you shouldn't have to look at how much that game costs to make. You should have you should be able to look at the game it's presenting to you and say that looks like a game worth worth 60 bucks or worth 50 bucks or whatever. I'm not saying that you as a consumer should have to look at that. What I'm saying is that sometimes if we as the consumers are looking at it and we're we on the outside of it say that doesn't make sense that that game costs that much. That doesn't mean that it doesn't actually make fiscal sense why that game costs that much. Maybe I mean until you make the game until you put it out there, I don't I like to think that most developers, when they're creating these things, they're doing it because they, they believe in it. Like totally. That, that it's going to be a good game and that people want to play it. Uh, and if it costs them X amount of money to make it, uh, I think they believe in it and they want to put it out there at a price point where they're going to actually make some money off of it, at least. Uh, but I, I, except in the case of like the bigger developers who just have billions of dollars to throw around, I don't think they're looking at it as cynically in most cases is like we're going to price this high and people are going to love it. A lot of them I think especially the smaller indie developers are pricing it like this is what we need to live after making this title. And I don't think they went into it going we'll cut some corners and make some extra money. I, I, I'm just I'm, I, I I'm guess speaking out for the I, developers I, I on this side. Of course. Right. I guess what I'm saying is I don't, I don't, I don't blame the like I, I don't really Blame the developers for pricing their game high. If they price their game at you know thirty dollars instead of twenty dollars, and it's an indie game, well, then I expect it to have a little bit more to it, or you know, a little bit higher level of production value, or just fun. Like yeah. you look at Darkest Dungeon, that is a twenty-five dollar indie game, which is only five dollars higher than most indie games. Uh, but it, to me, it presents that extra level of like it is a fun game and it is worth it to me. I put in dozens of hours into it, mm -hmm. um, whereas something like Tacoma, only twenty dollars, I put in two hours and never going to play it again. Yeah. I enjoyed the two hours, but I don't know if that experience trumps my. I, I agree, but it's all subjective at this point. Yeah. Like I, I like to think that the developer when they're making it believes that people will have fun with it. Like I, uh, I want to think that they go into releasing the game thinking this is going to be something people will enjoy or will mean something to someone. Well, I mean, I, so I think that's, that's why people a, go into game development, yeah. right? You could make so much more money going into any other kind of software development. Yeah. Uh, people go into game development because they love games, they want to make these experiences, they have the passion, mm -hmm. they want to make a living too. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the that that's they'd very much like to be able to uh, you know Eat. put food on the table and keep the lights on, but uh, ultimately they chose games as the way they want to keep the lights on because they have passion. Yeah. So I will say um, I'm looking at Steam Spy here yeah. and Gone Home, which was Fulbright's previous game, which was pretty big. I mean, like many people called it their game of the uh, year. Critical and, darling. Uh, it was critically loved. Uh, according to Steam Spy, Gone Home sold about 724,000 copies, which is still a very small. Yeah. So you know when we're talking about like extrapolating the price and yeah. how much money do you make off of that? That's still not a ton of. Well, okay. Base. So let's talk about how much does Steam take? Mm -hmm. Well, we. Do so we know? I forget. They, they don't openly publicize it, yeah. but uh, the general number that seems to have come from several different sources over several different uh, unconnected occasions is about thirty percent. Thirty percent. So if we. Okay. Yeah. Can we look up what the? I don't know if this information is out there either, but. What the uh, percentage you have to give to a, like, say, Unity or to Unreal 
I think there's uh, different licensing there, I'm sure models is. depending on whether you buy the engine outright mm -hmm. or you license and or give license a portion of the sales. Studio size. Yeah, it depends on studio size, number of units mm -hmm. sold. I think there's a lot of complex mm -hmm. math that goes into that. Yeah. I mean, all I'm saying, and again, I, I'm not to argue that developers should release crap and price it high. I mean, uh, it's just that I think a lot of times we as consumers forget that sometimes things are priced the way they are because that's what it took to make that exist. Yeah, I mean, the, and, and the, I think the, the, the problem I have in my head, the disconnect I have with mm -hmm. these games in particular is that, you know, let's say a two to three hour experience, I could go to the movies and pay it's true. seven, ten bucks and watch, you know, a movie experience. Oh, okay, Mr. Matinee over here with no popcorn. <laughs> true, <laughs> true. It, it, it does add up quickly, but, you know, just from... The popcorn, that's DLC. I mean, that's a, that is that's a microtransaction <laughs> that you're being at, thrown at. But uh, just the core experience, you know, that's yeah. still the barometer when you get to that very specific mm -hmm. time frame. I agree. I mean, I, again, that part of it is all subjective on the end of the consumer. The consumer could say, I mean, uh, how many games have you ever played where you thought, and this is one of those, those weird disconnects, I bet you've never gone... I would have paid twice as much money for that game. I have. Uh, you have? Oh, I, I've thought Battlegrounds. that. Terraria is that would game you play, for me. But would you, would you, at twice as much, would you have bought it? Uh, see, that's the question. And this goes back to what I said earlier also. So I don't know. Yes, because Terraria is that game for me where I, I paid it. I paid it I but think you I, also didn't know that going in. I think I bought five. Yeah. I paid for $5 for it. Like, that is a great price for a game that looks cool. And as I played it more, I was like, this game's amazing, and I need other people to play it. So I just kept buying copies of that game. I bought probably 20 copies that of that game. That is weird. That is that is very strange. It's no, not, because it's to me, I'm like an evangelist for that game. So you I buy them and give them away? Yeah, because okay. you buy them on Steam sale for 250 and just send them to people. I think it's a fantastic doesn't, game. It doesn't help support the developer as much if you're buying it for 250 Yeah, but, but he's right. buying in bulk. Right. Yes. Um, you know, it, it does. The though, it does happen sometimes. There was a thing when uh, Stardew Valley came out, and the, you know, there were a bunch of people. You know, they pirate it because they're you know going to try it out, or they don't feel like they can afford it, or they just like they're out of the habit of of paying the money for games. And there were a bunch of fans of Stardew Valley who then they were so happy with the game and so uh, enjoying it so much that they were actually buying copies for people who'd pirated it. Um, just I mean, so that they could be like, you can't, like, you yeah, like, you can't afford this here. Have a legitimate copy. Yeah. Like, so there were people that were going out of their way to purchase another copy of the game uh, to help others support the developer with that cost. And I think Stardew Valley was like 20 bucks as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I kind of would, it, that in my mind would be a wonderful way for microtransactions to be something that is less heinous. Is if it was just like a way you could reward the developer. Instead, right now, microtransactions like are a way it's like, yeah. Right now, microtransactions are like, ah, but I want that thing. Like, you got a special thing. Give me that special thing. It'd be cool if it, they could find a way to contextualize it where it's like, what you just gave me was worth more than what I paid for it, and I would like to, to pay that back towards you. Uh, I don't know how that would ever be possible, but, you know, if they can figure out a way to make that trade happen and then come up with a game that's amazing. Do, do you guys feel that... Like, I try to think about value of games and how fun should factor into it and, and what that game means to you as an individual should factor into it. But I think when I think about those things, I think about the games I remember the most. The games I remember most are the ones I played the most. So hours to me mm -hmm. are the ones I think is the, the biggest metric for my games. Because obviously if I'm enjoying it, I'm playing it more. Um, what, what, what sort of, like, playtime do you guys need to get out of a game? Not necessarily dollars to hours, but just in general... Uh, for you to feel like you've gotten your money's worth. 
I don't know that there's a, a hard number I yeah. can set for that. Yeah, like there, you know, I know there's a, the popular thing that goes around, it's the dollar per hour, it's the Sean Poole rule. Yes. Uh, and saying, you know, it, if a game is going to be worth $60, I better get 60 hours out of it. Um, and that's, mm. I think, if there are, there are a lot of gamers on a budget for whom I think that's a, a you know, decent rule. Like if you are wavering between a Tacoma or a, a Battlegrounds, go for the one that you're going to get you're going to be paying cents for every hour of enjoyment mm. you get out of it. But I don't know that, like, at the point where I'm at, I don't know that that makes sense anymore. I have a disposable income. I see a game. I buy a game. I play a game. And, you know, we, we get sent review copies every now and again, which is always a, a very nice. But for the most part, I buy every game that I play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I, I like doing so. I like feeling you know, that I'm, I'm part of the economy and supporting developers and so on with, you know, with my purchase. But uh, I don't think there's, for me, a hard and fast rule about how many hours I'd better get out of a game in order for it to be worth it because every experience is very unique. Mm -hmm. Would I have, would I probably pay $20 again to, to rehab that Tacoma experience or, you know, knowing what I know now? Probably not. Uh, just because, again, it's not my genre. There are people for whom, if that's the ultimate, then they'll be more than happy to have that two-hour experience and call it worth twenty dollars. Mm -hmm. I'm not that consumer, and that's okay. And so. just for the record, for comparison, uh, according to Steam Spy, Tacoma is at just under seven thousand. Oh, that's Copies? it. Ooh. Wow, that's not very e. high. Well, it I may think you're depend. One. Well, I don't know. It may depend as well. Gone Home uh, did very, very well as reviews came in, and it got a lot of Game of the Year nominations and got a lot of buzz and hype around mm -hmm. it. I feel like Tacoma's been a reasonably quiet launch, actually. Yeah, yeah I, I bought I bought Tacoma purely because of word of mouth. How much does that go then? Uh, what's that the developers take then after Steam? Seven thousand times twenty bucks is one hundred forty thousand dollars. Times point seven five is one hundred five thousand dollars. So points, not a lot. Yeah, I thought it was point seven. You said thirty percent. Oh, oops. Times point seven is ninety eight thousand dollars. Yeah. So, so they uh, well, and then also with the li licensing and all that. Um, so we don't know how it's doing yet, but it definitely ha seems to have a slower start, mm. at least, than Gone Home. Uh, ben, do you have any way to look up opening uh, sales numbers for Gone Home, just so we can get sure, an yeah. idea? These oh, indie games do tend to have oh. a bit of a longer... Oh, never mind. Gus got it. Uh, I had already looked at it. I closed it, but there it is. I mean, it's... Oh, shit. Hold on. i got to scroll back. The, I had it earlier. If you want to look for it, Ben, you'll probably find it um, fast. What, what games do you guys feel like you've gotten the most... Like dollar to hour ratio out of oh goodness um, <laughs> really is that that really not not wow uh, no because wow you had to pay the monthly fee you had Skyrim had a lot yeah but even with that I mean I feel like a hundred and I've had like hundred and fifty days in wow dude yeah I don't know days yeah I, I I guess I have too that's just so far so long ago yeah for me um, I I played Final Fantasy X three times so I you know I got hundreds and hundreds of hours out of that for the for the sixty dollar or maybe it was fifty dollar at that time. Uh, entry fee. Um, I got, you know, 130 hours, uh, 120 hours, something like that out of Persona 5. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, you know, cents on the hour. Um, so those are both very, very efficient. Stardew Valley, I don't even know what my playtime in Stardew Valley is. High? <laughs> very high. So any of those sort of like open world sandboxy. Minecraft is probably a big one for me mm. because I got Minecraft before it. Um, 
you know, before it like exited mm. and went, you know, because the the price on Minecraft went up as they yeah, went through like, the iterations. It started like ten bucks or something. Right. Like that. So I got it pretty cheap. I've spent hundreds of hours in Minecraft just playing like with with Bernie and the boys and like wandering <coughs> around and having those experiences. Mind you, I did buy it again on Switch and I haven't played it on Switch, so <laughs> I'm not sure if if that balances back the other way or not. It's, I mean, I don't really like to think about it in terms of dollar per hour. That's there have been so many games that I played that were not necessarily that long that just, you know, had more meaning. And then there's so many games I've played where I felt like they were too long. Like, I just wrap it up. I'm, I've already, you've stopped adding new mechanics. I'm, I'm done playing this. Like, let's just go ahead and get to the end of it. Um, I mean, obviously, I played a lot of Battlegrounds. I played a lot of Skyrim. I think if I'm looking back down my uh, Steam list of what I have a lot of hours in. Um, Obviously, Minecraft and GTA, but GTA 5 arguably is not cost-effective because of the way we end up playing it. We spend a lot more money sure. keep to stay in that uh, ecosystem. But so, uh, real fast, sorry to interrupt. Mm -hmm. Ben no, does no. have some uh, some sales figures here for Gone Home. All right. In the first month, they sold 50,000 units, and in the first six months, they sold 250,000 units, uh, and 80% of those sales were through Steam. Okay. So, the that was a slow start, but a faster start. Considerably. Yeah. Well, if you do, yeah, 7,000 times four weeks in a month, you get a 28,000, which is definitely less than 50,000. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So this is, uh, it's not got that acclaim yet. But um, we'll see as well once we start getting, like, you know, the once the game of the year discussions start coming around and we start getting nominations, because I think that's a, um, at least it works this way with, I don't know about you guys, but like for movies and TV shows, there are ones that I've checked out because they got nominated for award, and I was like, what's Never even heard about it. Yep. Like, uh, like, I'll take a look because people say it's good. Yeah. Um, so maybe that will happen with this game. I like it. If you if you like the genre, I think it's a, a good purchase. Just know going in that it's a you know, it's an expensive game for the number of hours you'll get out of it. Yes, it's still a good story. Really great story. Great world. Yeah. And and if that's the kind of gamer you are, fantastic. I'm I you know. There's no hard and fast rule for how much a game should be worth based on hours. No. And I think is what the is is that the consensus we came to? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So fairly obvious, but that's our discussion anyway. All right, that's it for this episode of Glitch Please. If you've enjoyed the show, please make sure that you um, give us a nice thumbs up on whether you're you're watching this or if you're um, listening. Go ahead, and give us like a, give the uh, podcast a review on iTunes. That helps us out a whole bunch. Um, we will have a our new game plus post show exclusively for Rooster Teeth first members, um, so you can check that out. If you're not a Rooster Teeth first member yet, you can uh, sign up at uh, theno.roosterteeth.com and get a free month trial so you don't have to put down any money at the beginning. Uh, you can check out the post show, our other first exclusive content, see if you like it. And then we will be back uh, next week with more episodes, uh, well, more episode of Glitch, please. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.